This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, joining me in segments two and three on today's program, Mr. Jay Taylor. Jay is a radio host and newsletter author, and I will be getting his take on Federal Reserve policy, the U.S. economy, and his forecast for your investments. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. In this segment, I want to talk to you a bit about something that I'm going to call the evolution of a tax. You know, I often ask the question in our events, do you trust the Washington politicians not to change the tax rules? And even more specifically, do you trust the Washington politicians not to change the IRA and 401k rules in their favor? And the reason I'm asking this question today and the reason that I am discussing this in this segment is that for many of you who are listening, who have money in an IRA or a 401k, you may have an opportunity to save a significant amount of money in taxes. Now, I'll get to that in a moment, but first, let me give you just a little bit of background, because as we enter another political season, there's a lot of talk about tax policy. There's the talk of a wealth tax, and don't worry, this wealth tax won't affect most people. We're only going to tax billionaires and people with net worths in excess of $50 million. And every one of us should, in my view, be very, very alarmed when you hear talk of a new tax, because it doesn't take long, and that tax affects everyone. You know, when you go back and look at the history of the income tax, the income tax first began in 1862, when then-President Abraham Lincoln enacted an emergency income tax to finance the Civil War. Now, a minimum tax rate at this point of 3%. So in 1862, the income tax was 3%, and it existed for 10 years, and then it expired because the income tax at that point was an emergency measure to finance the war. And in 1872, the income tax went away. However, as often happens, once the door is opened for a tax, the income tax reappeared in 1894. However, at this point, it was only 2%. The very next year, however, due to a legal challenge, the Supreme Court of the United States declared that the income tax was unconstitutional. A lot of people are not aware of the fact that back in 1895, the income tax was declared to be unconstitutional. Well, if you are in Washington and you want to raise revenue, you then work to amend the Constitution. So in 1909, the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was proposed, and when passed, if ratified, it would allow Congress to levy an income tax. Well, in 1913, the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, and the income tax once again became a reality for Americans. So it took only 18 years to get it done. However, the interesting part of this is how the Washington politicians accomplished this. 
And here's the lesson. As they often do, the politicians of the day played one class against another and promoted the income tax as something that would affect only the rich. Now, it's important to understand that the political atmosphere at the time was very protectionist and very progressive, not unlike the atmosphere in which we find ourselves today. The political rhetoric that the income tax would finally make the rich pay their fair share played very, very well, and the initial income tax was 1%, and only 1 in 217 people were affected by the tax. However, as always happens, it didn't take long for that to change. By 1939, one in 32 citizens paid a 4% income tax rate. And by 1943, just four years later, one in three wage earners were paying the income tax, and something called withholding began. See, when the politicians made it mandatory for employers to withhold taxes from an employee's paycheck, they found the golden key that allowed tax increases to be a lot more palatable to the public. See, if something comes out of your paycheck, it's a lot easier to tolerate that because the net is the net. On the other hand, if you have to write a check on a quarterly basis, as anyone who today is self-employed will tell you, that is a miserable painful experience. Well, once the citizens got used to tax withholding, it got a lot easier to raise taxes. And today, as you all know, every worker who earns any amount of money has taxes withheld from his or her paycheck. So what began as a way to make the rich pay their fair share now affects even part-time workers, high school kids who live below the poverty line. Now, there have been lots and lots of changes to the tax code. However, here's my point. IRAs and 401ks and other retirement accounts have existed since 1974, and probably if you're saving for retirement, the chances are very, very good that you use an IRA or 401k or 403b or something of the like. Now, here's a statistic that I'd like you to internalize. According to the Investment Company Institute, at the end of the fourth quarter of 2017, total retirement plan assets were in excess of $28 trillion. The total official national debt now is about $22 trillion. Now, call me cynical. However, I think it's going to be very, very difficult moving ahead for the Washington politicians to resist changing the rules regarding retirement plans. Now, there is a potential opportunity. Here's the opportunity. Since tax year 2018, just last year, individual tax rates are lower. There was a tax cut package passed at the end of 2017 that became immediately effective in January of 2018. And individual tax rates as a result of this tax package being passed were reduced. 
So many of you are paying a lower tax rate, and on average, this isn't true for everyone, but on average, your tax rate is probably about 3% less than it was in 2017. Now, this tax package also made business and corporate tax cuts the law of the land. However, the business and corporate tax cuts were permanent. The individual tax cuts last for just eight years. So here we are in 2019. We have this year and six more years under which we're operating under, under these lower tax rates. So here's the point. If you're age 59 and a half or older today and listening to this, I would encourage you to determine whether or not you would benefit from an IRA tax management plan. See, when it comes to the money you have in an IRA or a 401k or another retirement account, the question is not, are you going to pay the tax? The question is, when are you going to choose to pay the tax? And if you wait to pay the tax until tax rates increase, which we know will happen predictably in 2026, seven years from now, then you may end up paying more to the IRS than you would if you were to engage in a tax minimization plan. Now, you can take money out of an IRA and you can put it in a, a, a non-IRA account. You could do a Roth IRA conversion, which has some benefits when it comes to helping you reduce the tax you pay on your Social Security benefits. And I'd like to offer everyone listening to this today a free resource. We have a book titled The IRA Transformation Plan. We're making available for free to our listeners this week. If you would like to get a copy of the book, just visit RLA. RLA stands for Retirement Lifestyle Advocates. It's rla.iratransformationplan.com. ira.iratransformationplan.com. If you visit the website, give us your name. Let us know where to ship you a copy of the book. This week, we will make that book available to you for free. It will contain all the information you'll need to determine whether or not you might be able to save some money in taxes on your retirement account. The website, rla.iratransformationplan.com. I'll be back after these words. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. It's a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you each week free, just visit rla.yourportfoliowatch.com that's rla.portfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we track market and economic activity every week and monitor and update our forecast for your money. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. 
Joining me on today's program is uh, a returning guest, Mr. Jay Taylor. Uh, Jay publishes a newsletter titled Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. He also hosts uh, a radio program that uh, I very much appreciate, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. You can learn more about his work at jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R-Media.com. And Jay, welcome to the program. Well, it's my pleasure, Dennis. Well, Jay, let's just start by talking a bit, um, if we could, about your view um, of the U.S. economy. Uh, We have... uh, some of the politicians in charge bragging about low unemployment and a boom. Do you do yeah. you see it that way? No, not at all. I think that uh, you always have to take the political claims with a grain of salt, a gigantic grain of salt. Um, you know, either whichever side you're on. If it's if your side is in power, you should also discount uh, what they're saying. Just uh, I think try to look at it objectively and. Frankly, I think that uh, the U.S. economy is in a long-term down downcline. We have little ebbs and flows, but the general trend is down to a great extent because of the enormous amount of indebtedness that we have taken on. It's, it's quite clear that uh, whilst um, you know many decades ago some additional debt uh, stimulus, some some additional money, which we have to remember that. Once we went off the gold standard, we have a, a debt-based monetary system so that debt is the raw material from which money is manufactured or created. It's no longer gold dug out of the hills. It's, uh, it's computer strokes and essentially uh, funny money, phony money, if you will. But behind it is something called debt. It's not an asset-based system. It's a debt-based system. So whenever we increase the money supply, we're also increasing debt. And what happened Earlier on, after the Second World War and after Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971, we could get away with additional debt, with additional debt-based money um, for some time, and it and it was positive, it was stimulative. But what's uh, clear, clearly happening now, uh, is that not only is debt not um, not only is it not uh, helping us, but it's actually hurting us to a great extent. It's it's a drag on the economy, I think, to a great extent. Jay, I think I know what you're going to say when I ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, what would you say to those who are actually climbing on board with this, in my view, ridiculous theory of modern monetary theory, the, the notion that government debts don't matter, uh, you can print as much money as you want as long as inflation is kept under control? Yeah, that's a lot of nonsense, of course. Uh, they, it's, it's the tooth fairy economics, I would say. It's uh, the notion that you can have something for nothing, and it's quite popular, you know. If you can deceive the people into believing that that's a reality, then I guess you can gain a lot of political power with that. But ultimately, uh, it doesn't work, and it's not working. And it's, you know, it's, it's as I said, I think what's happening is that we are, uh, you know, it's, it's counterproductive. I mean, you can look at if you. And I'm looking at a chart right now that I've used in a presentation that I made recently. Uh, you can look at the GDP, nominal GDP growth, and under that, the what you might consider productive debt, that is, debt that grew along with GDP. And then you have, uh, we grew beyond that, so you have unproductive debt, debt that doesn't do anything, essentially. It doesn't stimulate any growth. And now we're at the point where because of the debt, uh, because of the debt requirements, the debt service requirements, it's actually counterproductive. So, you know, the idea that 
um, that you can that you can consume today without any cost for the future is of course uh, is of course not true. So that they've convinced us that we can. You can have your cake and eat it too, sort of thing. So Jay, when when you look at the U.S. national debt, um, I have interviewed Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff, and he does a lot of work calculating the fiscal gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in his view, uh, the fiscal gap of the United States, which which is debt, unfunded liabilities, we're over two hundred trillion dollars that we need to have in hand today to meet all the promises that have have been made. Uh, And that doesn't include uh, Medicare for All, the Green New Deal, all these other programs that are being proposed. So Mm -hmm. what's the end game here? I mean, does does the dollar end up, uh, does the Fed end up printing money to fund these programs and we we end up destroying the dollar like we've seen so many, happen so many times in history? Yeah, I think that in the end, that's what's going to happen. I don't see any other way out. Can you imagine, you know, I think we saw an attempt on the part of the current Federal Reserve chairman to try to uh, to right the ship, to uh, normalize the Fed's balance sheet. And as soon as the equity market started heading south in a serious way towards the end of 2018, uh, Wall Street threw a hissy fit, and he turned around and his rhetoric changed. Now, to what extent uh, they're actually tight, actually loosening up now, I'm not sure, but I think Clearly, uh, Wall Street will complain in a major way, and um, you know, and, and the Fed chairman obviously is sensitive to that. But it's it's more serious than that because it's it's not as if Wall Street or the stock market collapse could collapse without other without the rest of the economy being affected by it. It certainly would be. The 2008-2008 crisis. I'm sure any Federal Reserve chairman sitting in that seat doesn't want to be blamed for the next one. But it's bound to happen because we are in more dire condition, more dire straits now than we were in 2008. The debt to equity, uh, it's you know debt to GDP and so forth uh, ratios are, are worse. Yeah, you can say the the banks' balance sheets are stronger now. Sure, they are because they've uh, you know they've allowed the banks to uh, to get free money essentially to 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 um, improve their balance sheets. But now the banks are out lending again, like they do during cycles. Uh, you know, the the banks at some point in time realize that as interest rates rise, they start selling their treasuries and uh, and they start making loans. And that you start getting money into the real economy and you start having increased inflation, which we're having a bit of. Wage inflation is starting to rise a bit now. And so, you know, that's concerning. I think the Fed would like to, uh, and, and you know, the, the powers that be would like to keep things in order as long as they can. Uh, but at some point they can't. And, uh, you know, I think you can't ignore geopolitics and the military-industrial complex. The American empire has to keep finding new places to wage wars to keep the military machinery going because it's such a big part of our GDP. I think it's exactly what Eisenhower warned us about uh, as he was leaving office uh, in 1960. I think that, um, you know, this is an issue. And, And quite frankly, the dollar has retained its value uh, because we've been able to bolster it with military action, military force as an empire to ensure that other nations require the dollar be used for uh, the purchase of petroleum. And so much of what is going on now, the wars that are have everything to do with the ability to uh, continue using the dollar, and the dollar will be used as long as as long as the empire can keep it that way, because it can create. Yeah, it, it, it's not creating wealth out of nothing. What it's doing is redistributing wealth 
it, cre- it prints money, and those that have control of the monetary system, the banks, the government, uh, are, are able to enrich themselves, those that have money in the stock market, as long as they keep the market going up and the bond market uh, strong, or at least from collapsing, they can, um, you know, that's, that's the game. And so what we've seen is a redistribution of wealth from the uh, manufacturing, from the, from the center of the country, the people that voted for Trump primarily, uh, to the um, to the elites, to the Wall Street, to the government, and so on and so forth. So, uh, but I think the I mean I don't see how it can end otherwise. That other uh, eventually I think when the dollar's day is over, it's going to be a, a terrible time. I think for Americans, that, especially Americans that aren't ready uh, for um, for a dollar that doesn't buy much of anything. Well, if you're just joining us, we are chatting today with Mr. Jay Taylor. Uh, Jay uh, publishes the newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, You can check that newsletter out at miningstocks.com. I would also encourage you to look at uh, listening to his radio program, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. And you can learn more about that at jtaylormedia.com. So, Jay, we, you, you'd mentioned all the debt that exists, uh, uh, not, only in the, not only sovereign debt, but also in the private sector. Mm-hmm. And since banks have debt as assets, doesn't it follow that we're going to see more banking failures in the future? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's likely to happen. But again, we have now you know, a philosophy of government that doesn't suggest that, uh, that we should allow failure, at least not for the, for the elite, for the people that matter. So, um, you know, what are they going to do? I, I think, in part, they've redistributed wealth to the banks. Uh, they kept interest rates so low. They allowed banks and, you know, pushed interest rates low, which meant as, as long as banks were holding treasuries, they were getting richer. They were actually being paid to keep bank balances, to keep balances, uh, reserves in the system, and not to lend. Uh, but inevitably, at some point in time, interest rates start to rise, and so they have to reverse course. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think we're going to see, but you know, they're going. But keep in mind, and this is what we have to realize: that while the Fed goes before Congress and promises to do the right things by the American people, the real reason the Fed was created—it was created, it is owned by the banks. It's a private corporation, quasi-government, perhaps you can you can say, because the Congress created it and and supposedly has oversight. But I don't see them getting very tough with the Fed ever. And so I think what you have is. Um, you know, Federal Reserve that's there to protect the banks, to protect its shareholders, essentially. So Americans, of course, don't understand that. They don't realize that. But that's the truth of the matter. And so uh, ultimately what happens is the banks get bailed out. And, you know, the average people, well, consider this time they're talking about bail-ins, right? So Right, they exactly. To, they drive interest rates below zero. People are going to want to take their money out. Uh, but you know, maybe they're, that's why they're talking about um, paperless, uh, you know, just digital currency now instead of paper currency. So I think it's very diabolical, I think, what's happening and what's going, what's being set out uh, for the American people, if they could understand and realize what's going on. But of course, this kind of thing is never covered in the mainstream press, is it? No, it isn't. And, you know, it's, uh, I had Michael Pento on the program about uh, a week ago. He pointed out that now we have uh, almost $10 trillion of debt yielding negative interest rates worldwide. I mean, that, that is just lunacy when you think about yeah, it. It is lunacy. Uh, but, you know, free markets are, not, free markets are in touch with reality. Um, Keynesian, 
Keynesian economics is, is, is diabolical. I think it's been very, very destructive. It is, of course, very, very much akin with uh, Marxist or government statist economic policies, whether it's fascist or communist. It's the opposite of the free market that was given to us by our founding fathers. And, um, well, you know, I, I think the universities don't teach uh, capitalism. People don't understand capitalism. They don't understand how it works, nor do they understand that you have to have uh, you you really have to have uh, price discovery of capital if you're going to have capitalism. And what all the Federal Reserve has been doing since Greenspan's time on, especially, is destroying uh, price discovery of capital. So how can you how can capitalism survive if you take away that? And I think we are seeing the difficulty of it. Um, you know, it's it's starting to rear its ugly head. This whole notion, the big lie, ultimately will cost us all dearly. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We're chatting today with Mr. Jay Taylor. Uh, Jay publishes Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can learn more about his work at jtaylormedia.com. I'll continue my conversation with Jay when our LA Radio returns. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. It's a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you each week free, just visit rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. That's rla.portfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we track market and economic activity every week and monitor and update our forecast for your money. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. Jay Taylor. If you're just joining us, Jay publishes the newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. You can learn more about the newsletter at miningstocks.com, and you can learn more about Jay's work and his excellent radio program at jtaylormedia.com. And Jay, you know, in the last segment, we talked about the fact that uh, there's this this huge amount of debt um, that it, it's your view that uh, likely there's there's more money creation by by the Fed. So at what point does the dollar discontinue or cease being the world's uh, dominant reserve currency? That's just really something that I think only the the, the sovereign God on high knows because I don't think it's I don't think it's possible for humans to know that. All we know is that that things underlying it are heading in the wrong direction for a strong dollar because the dollar really is based on, to a great extent, on confidence. It is a con game uh, to a great extent. I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, economic statistics are, are, well, politicians have their own reasons for wanting to make people think they're doing such a great job when they're off in office. But also it helps to just the confidence game 
in terms of America and its currency and so on and so forth. So it's really hard to say, but you know what's going on now to a great extent, I think, is geopolitical issues that are starting to come to the fore. Um, you know, our adversarial nations or nations that we've decided are our adversaries like China and Russia and others are, are really trying to get out from under the dollar. Russia sold all of their dollars. They're, they're buying gold. Uh, the Chinese are building up their gold reserves. They're also buying, they're, they're not selling their treasuries, but they're not buying uh, treasuries as they were in the past. So they're decreasing and they're buying assets around the world. They're buying also uh, building their gold supplies, not just their central bank gold supplies, but gold. Uh, they're allowing the public to own gold and they don't allow any export of gold. And they are the largest gold producers in the world. So something's going on. They're setting up their, their banking system to get out from under the dollar. Uh, there was some threats about taking uh, Russia away from the SWIFT system. And uh, as I understand it, they are designing or have already perhaps designed a system that allows those countries that are considered adversaries to the U.S. to trade amongst themselves, not using the SWIFT system. Otherwise, the United States can block them and get in the way of, of what they're doing. So, I, 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 you know, it's, I, it's the question is, you know how uh, we are in the process of, of self-destructing through our debt creation, uh, and you know we're choking ourselves. And now all this socialism that's being touted by the left wing of the Democratic Party will accelerate it. So it's anybody's guess as to how long we have, but I do believe that we're ready for a weaker dollar in the mean in the in the near term. And I think this year the dollar will end lower. The dollar index will end lower and that gold will be considerably higher. So that's what I'm doing. I'm looking to at least have some of my assets in gold and suggesting that people should do that. Uh, I had D, uh, um, Danielle D. Martino Booth on my show the other day. She was an assistant, uh, actually worked with Richard Fisher um, when he was at the Fed, and she uh, ended our conversation by saying, well, Jay, I'm not a gold bug, but I'll tell you, I'm owning gold now because that is what does well when everything else doesn't do so well. So it's, you know, it's um, it's negatively correlated with the equity market, with the dollar generally, uh, and so you know I think people should be looking in that direction because it's hard to say when the dollar will cease being the reserve currency, whether it happens suddenly or whether it's a, a sort of a um, a gradual thing. I think it could be gradual. We're seeing the dollar index decline long term now. I think it's in a long term bear market, uh, and I think we're ready for another leg down. So. I think people should be ready. So, Jay, I want to get to, to gold and, and, and your specialty, mining stocks, in just a moment. But you mentioned that, that, that Russia is accumulating gold. China's been accumulating gold for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you see that somewhere at some point that there will be a country that links their currency back to gold as the U.S. dollar was once linked? You know, it's hard to say. I, a lot of people think so. Um, not a lot of people. A lot of people I talk to, Alistair McLeod, who's a guest on my show with Gold Money, uh, it believes that very, very, very much. So I think it probably will happen sometime. I hate to think about it because I think the only thing that will cause it to happen is some very difficult times that will that will lead, you know, to have no other choice. How do you how do you um, restore confidence in a currency that when the confidence is lost? Um, and so I think it's it's very possible that it could, and in what shape or form it takes. I know that Jim Rickards, who I have on my show from time to time, has, has talked about the SDRs and the IMF. Uh, his view is the next time the system fails, the, the banking system uh, 
collapses, that there won't be anybody but the IMF to bail out the banks and that we will go to uh, sort of a one-world currency that uh, has gold as a component to it. That's sort of his view. Um, but, you know, I think in the end it comes down to an asset money. How do you restore confidence in a monetary system? You know, and, you know, a gold-backed system, it doesn't depend on other people's uh, other people's uh, uh, you know financial condition to make it good. It is an asset-based system that has intrinsic value, whereas ours is a debt-based system uh, that it depends on other people's ability to pay their debts. So, Jay, for our listeners maybe that would like to learn more about investing in gold and mining stocks, can can you just speak to the difference between owning the physical metal? that you can pick up and touch and move mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. and a company that mines uh, or seeks out metal? Well, first of all, I'd say that people should start out by owning the physical. And in, in your own hands is the best way. Uh, don't buy the ETFs and those kind of things because they're not really – they're paper gold. They're not, necess- they're, not your, they're not gold that you have in your possession, nor can you get it in your possession. And there's lots of games that are played in the futures markets and so forth. For example, most people don't realize – that more gold is traded, paper gold is traded in one day than is produced in a whole year. So the bank, the banking system can also play games, and I'm convinced they do play games with the price of gold. They're putting a ceiling on it to an extent. They can't control it uh, long term, but they're putting a ceiling on it. And so don't, don't think you can go in and buy ETFs and, and own gold that way. Buy the physical gold that way. Uh, the mining stocks, of course, are different, completely different story you you're you're betting on a uh, on a company's ability to pull gold out of the ground or whatever metal it is out of the ground for a profit if they can't do that then the gold in the ground is worthless uh, the gold in your vault at home is whatever the price of gold is at that time and and we know that it continues to rise over a long period of time I mean I started following gold and writing my newsletter in 1981 uh, when gold was, uh, well, it was just, you know, it had gone up to 850 and it was in the two $300 range when I started writing about it. It's gotten up to 1900 and, um, you know, I think we're going to go there again perhaps this year yet. It's currently at around 1300 so. Be a significant but, rise. Yes, it will be a significant rise, but I think we'll blow through, ultimately, blow through the old highs. Um, and I'm not saying that because I'm happy about it. I'm not. But I think it is what it is. We're destroying the currency. It's not that gold is gaining value. It's that currency is losing its value. And if you want to retain your value, your wealth, uh, one of the ways to do it is to own real things. And gold is the most portable real asset that you can own. You know, Jay, I just read an analysis, and I, I put it in my weekly newsletter that goes to clients, that um, if you uh, actually looked at the average price of a home in 1971 mm-hmm. and uh, looked at buying that home in gold, it would take about 680 ounces of gold to buy the average home, which I think sold for about twenty-three dollars or $24,000. Uh-huh. And that same amount of gold today buys almost four uh, average homes, even though the average price is about 240000 So that's yeah. pretty much a testament to that, that, that gold really is a good place to store your economic energy, or at least Absolutely. some of your economic energy, until you're ready to deploy it. Absolutely. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And it's portable, and you can sell it. I mean, it's, there's always a market for it. So, you know, gold shares are a different story. There's a market for gold shares, although a lot of the, the more speculative ones that I follow, sometimes in bad markets, there's not much of a there's not much liquidity there. There's not much of a market. But there are other shares that I would say that, especially people that are looking for income. One that I've really taken a liking to and own myself. Uh, is Gamco. That's a, a company. It's a, the it's a Gabelli fund, and they own the underlying major gold mining companies, not the little speculative guys that I like to look at. And they're paying about a 14% dividend now. They pay a nickel a month on the stock is selling about the ETF is selling about four and a quarter. So that's one thing people could look at. Others that uh, Sandstorm Gold Limited is a royalty company. Royalty companies tend to be a lot less risky than. Uh, than the mining companies themselves, and um, they usually sell at higher multiples. Osisco Gold Royalties is another one. These are companies that are very liquid. They sell, uh, you know, major gold funds own them and so forth. So, you know, those are some ideas people might want to consider. And then, of course, uh, for the more speculative investors, those that want to really keep track of what's going on in exploration, that's really what I focus on mostly. And that's where the really uh, the large profits can come from, but also, of course, you're you're in. Uh, you're also taking on more risk when you buy those kinds of companies. So, Jay, we have just a couple minutes left. If somebody's listening to this, uh, they're they're an aspiring retiree, or maybe they're already retired. They're managing assets they've accumulated in a 401k or now maybe mm-hmm. an IRA. Um, do you have any just general recommendations for them as to should I own? How do I own physical gold? Uh, how much physical gold should I own on a percentage basis? Should I own mining shares? What what kind of advice would you offer? Of course, everybody is different, and so some people have, can, you know, can sleep at night with more risk. But I mean, if you're uh, if you're in retirement, and I'm retirement age, um, I, I think you want to be you want to be pretty safe about it. I think depending on how much wealth you have, too. I mean, if you're if you're very well to do, why would you why would you take a lot of risk? Um, so uh, I think you know I don't know it's, everybody's different. So at ten percent or so in in gold and silver, silver I think by the way will outperform gold. It usually does when a bull market in precious metals takes place. But silver, of course, if you're going to take the physical possession, takes so much more space for the same wealth. So gold um, gold shares, if you're comfortable with it, I would say someone that's retiring looking for income again the Gamco Global. Gold fund would be a good way to go. GGN trades on the New York Exchange. That would be a good way. Uh, and there's some major, or, or some of the gold uh, funds would be a way to own gold as well in the in the mining companies. I think they'll outperform the equity market when we go into the next bear market, and I think we have to be close to one. I uh, don't know for sure, but I believe we are. We are so. Uh, and then of course you want to have some income producing uh, assets as well. But I'm really afraid of of, uh, of debt. Uh, of debt um, right now because I think we're we're likely to see rising interest rates uh, simply because the United States doesn't uh, it has it's running these huge deficits and the Chinese and the all of all of the countries that used to buy our debt are sort of running away from it now or for whatever reasons they don't want our debt especially when it's priced below where it should be so I think you have to be careful with debt but uh, U.S. Treasuries of course short-term Treasuries you can park. You can park some cash there, probably, and uh, liquidity there. Well, our guest today has been Mr. Jay Taylor. You can check out his work at jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R-Media.com. Jay, thanks for joining us again on the program today. Uh, terrific interview. We very much appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We will be back after these words. 
Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. It's a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you each week free, just visit rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. That's rla.portfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we track market and economic activity every week and monitor and update our forecast for your money. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to our special guest, Mr. Jay Taylor, for joining us on today's program. You know, if you're a relatively new listener, uh, you may have missed the update that we did on Venezuela about three weeks ago. And today I want to talk to you a little bit more about what's going on there. Uh, And again, if you're a new listener, uh, you may not be aware of the fact that Venezuela is actually going through a significant period of hyperinflation. And there's an article that was published this past week by a gentleman by the name of Simon Constable. And he points out and makes an interesting observation that Venezuela is really heading down the same path as the Soviet Union did 25 years ago. So when you, when you look at what's going on in Venezuela, first of all, it's hard to explain because a recent report confirms that Venezuela still has one of the largest proven oil reserves in the world. So how does a country rich in natural resources get in such a big economic hole? Well, the bottom line is that Mr. Hugo Chavez, when he led the revolution, to use that term, uh, came in and made a lot of promises. He actually was a socialist, um, and he decided that to gain political favor on top of his very charismatic personality, he would promise free electricity, free college, free everything, and he would just nationalize the oil industry in order to pay for it. So the government came in and took over profitable oil refineries. They, they basically made the oil business a function of the government. Uh, they also nationalized other profitable businesses. This is just the government coming in and confiscating it, taking it over. Now, the bottom line is this, and I don't think it matters what side of the political aisle you sit on, whether you're far left, far right, somewhere in the middle, libertarian, it really doesn't matter. I think we can all agree that whenever the government gets involved in something, it becomes more expensive and less efficient. I mean, I would challenge you to think about anything the government runs that has gotten more efficient, and less expensive. You just can't find a case. So 
what happened when Venezuela took over the oil industry? Well, believe it or not, according to this article written by Mr. Constable, oil production declined. Five years ago in 2014, Venezuela was producing 3 million barrels of oil per day. However, due to government bureaucracy, government running the oil business, there's now less than half of that production, 1.4 million barrels per day. And the other thing that has happened is oil prices have declined significantly in that time frame. So Venezuela, after having promised all these government benefits to the citizens, is now in a position that revenue from the oil industry is down significantly. So how do you fund the budget gap? How do you fund the budget deficit? Well, those in charge, the politicians, Mr. Maduro, who succeeded Mr. Chavez, really had a couple choices. One, you cut spending. You cut government benefits. If you're a politician, that's not a great idea. That creates political unrest, particularly when arguably the world is entering a bit of a slowdown. You know, the United States is a little bit isolated. The United States economy has been pretty decent compared to the rest of the world. Well, if you don't want to cut benefits, then the only other option you have really is to create more currency. And that's what Venezuela decided to do. As they created currency, obviously, inflation kicked in. Now, when money printing or creating currency starts, initially, there's often a period of prosperity. But then, as the money printing intensifies, that prosperity illusion, to use that term, disappears and reality sets in. Well, according to the article that is written by Mr. Constable, the annualized rate of inflation just last week in Venezuela dropped to 121,102%. That's down from a number that is much higher than that. And that inflation estimate comes from Steve Hankey, who is a professor of applied economics at Johns Hopkins University. Now, the economy, the Venezuelan economy, shrank more than 16% in 2016 and 2017, according to trading economics. Economic output has dropped, as I said, largely as a result of the government not being able to run the oil business and oil prices declining. Now, here's what Mr. Constable said. He said it took the former Soviet Union 12 years to achieve pre-crisis economic output. And the former Soviet Union was really dealing with just economic breakdown. They were not dealing with hyperinflation the way Venezuela is. Now, fixing hyperinflation could be relatively easy if the government of Venezuela were to simply peg the Venezuelan currency to the U.S. dollar. That would bring hyperinflation under control very quickly. However, 
Now you've got to rebuild the economy, and that's going to require a policy change. And the people of Venezuela may, at some point, demand that. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, I bring this up for one reason. While the United States is nowhere near Venezuela when it comes to inflation, nor really is anywhere else in the world, the fact remains that every currency in the world is a fiat currency. And as you're saving money to use down the road, perhaps in retirement, you have to assume that the currency that you're saving will lose purchasing power. As we've talked about on past programs, following the traditional approach of having your money in just stocks and bonds could let you down. It's good to have an inflation hedge in your portfolio, and that means tangible assets. If you'd like to learn more, we've got resources on our website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website, again, is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all I have for this week. Tune in again next week.